Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob. Well, it's Chosun Day today. Chosun is the old name for Korea, and I'm reading about some recent articles that I've found about Korea, North Korea in particular. This is from the Crossing Borders blog. Crossing Borders is a group that is located not far from where I live in the Chicagoland area. And uh, what they do is minister to refugees in particular, people that are coming out of North Korea, and they minister to these uh, broken lives. But they did a news um, blog on their site recently. It says the two Koreas recently announced that they will be coming to the negotiating table at Panmunjom, or Peace Village as it's called. National leaders will be convening in a building that straddles the two Koreas one used for high-level negotiations. On the table is an order of business that many say is long overdue, a peace treaty that would signal the official end to the Korean War. And uh, you've been hearing about that in the news recently. The promise of this treaty would be far-reaching for everyday North Koreans and even North Korean refugees. But experts say that such a treaty would require more than one meeting and also complicated by many factors. Lasting peace on the Korean peninsula could mean an end to the starvation of the North Korean people. The UN reported last year that about two in five North Koreans are malnourished, and 70% of the country's citizens rely on food aid. Putting a stop to the pressing burden of hunger in the North Korean population could furthermore spell an end to the North Korean refugee crisis, as a major concern of defectors could be solved with reliable, sustainable resources. But it is important to remember that many potential solutions to the problem of hunger are currently unavailable to the North, as the Korean War never came to an official end. The three-year conflict from 1950 to 1953 ended with a truce, not a peace treaty. The truce was a simple agreement that stated that both sides would cease combat. A peace treaty, as opposed to the ongoing armistice, would require more involvement from both Koreas as well as many hours of negotiation on controversial issues such as sovereignty and land. Whatever they call it, a peace declaration, a peace accord, even a peace treaty. It doesn't mean we'll all wake up and Korea is at peace, said John Delury, an associate professor of Chinese studies at Yonsei University in Seoul. He told the New York Times, it's significant, but it's embedded in a process. I would imagine the two Koreas can do something on their own to declare their own commitment to peace. End of quote. But many factors and forces could stop such open signs of goodwill in their tracks. Take, for example, North Korea's nuclear arsenal. The country's leaders have repeatedly signaled willingness to denuclearize only to break their promises in spectacular shows of force and open aggression. Both South Korea and the U.S. have recently said that peace would only be possible and sustainable if North Korea denuclearizes. Some experts say that North Korea's current motivations are not for peace, but for war. Dictator Kim Jong-un's move comes straight out of the rogue regime playbook book. You offer peace to distract from preparations for war, 
wrote Michael Rubin of the Conservative American Enterprise Institute think tank for the New York Post. That it repeatedly works reflects the naivete of Western officials for whom history begins anew with every administration. China is another complicating factor. China is a close ally to North Korea and has grave concerns about a U.S. presence on the Korean Peninsula, even as a peacekeeping force. China has been North Korea's main benefactor and has represented up to 70% of North Korea's economy. It's possible that a peaceful cooperation between the Koreas, which may eventually open opportunities for the West to enter into countries so close to China's borders, would be an unwelcome thorn in China's side. With so much riding on potential peace between North and South Korea, it's easy to get swept up with the dream of peace and stability. No one knows what will happen next. The best we can do is hope and pray that the events that unfold in the next few months will result in progressive steps toward lasting peace for all people in the region. All right, and now in the uh, Chicago Tribune of April 15, uh, just a, a week or so ago, a, a large article called Border Missionaries Put It All Online. This is uh, from southern Jilin province, China. Uh, to the North Koreans gathered beneath a crucifix in an apartment in this northeastern Chinese border region, she is known as Mom. She feeds them, gives them a place to stay, and on occasion, money. In return, the 69-year-old Korean-Chinese woman asks them to study the Bible, pray, and sing hymns. She also has a more ambitious and potentially dangerous goal. She wants the most trusted of her converts to return to North Korea and spread Christianity there. Along the North Korean border, dozens of such missionaries are engaged in work that puts them and their North Korean converts in danger. And let me stop here and add that that is what uh, Crossing Borders does. They have sent from here a couple to be missionaries in that part of the world and do that the very thing that this article is talking about. Most of these are South Koreans, but others, like this woman, are ethnic Koreans whose families have lived in China for generations. In recent years, ten such frontline missionaries and pastors have died mysteriously, according to Kim Kyaho, head of the Seoul-based Chosen People Network, a Christian group that runs a memorial hall in the South Korean capital for the victims. North Korea is suspected in all those deaths. Hundreds of other missionaries have been imprisoned or expelled by China, which bans foreigners from proselytizing. It is perilous work. Li Baguang, a Chinese human rights lawyer whose work defending Christian pastors and farmers had prompted repeated death threats, died on February 26 hours after being admitted to a Chinese military hospital for what his relatives described as a minor stomach ailment. 
The case has prompted calls for an independent investigation from Amnesty International and the Washington-based National Endowment for Democracy, which noted that Lee had been detained and physically attacked many times for his work and cited reports that he had recently appeared to be in good health. The Korean-Chinese woman said she is monitored by both North Korean and Chinese authorities, and yet, despite the risks, has carried out 20 years of missionary work with North Koreans, mostly women who are in China legally after being granted visas to visit relatives living there. I always pray and I am with God, so I'm not worried, said the woman, who, despite that assertion, asked that her name not be published because of safety concerns for herself, her family, and the North Koreans to whom she ministers. She lives so close to North Korea that it is common to see women doing laundry on the other side of the Yalu River or workers riding bicycles past run-down North Korean buildings just a stone's throw away. The border missionaries provide their North Korean visitors with room and board and those escaping with places to hide. In return, they ask them to memorize the Lord's Prayer the Apostles' Creed, and other prayers. Some of the most trusted converts return home to North Korea and covertly share what they've learned, sometimes carrying Bibles. It's almost impossible to determine what happens when those North Koreans return home to evangelize. From the outside, there's no indication that Christianity has grown in any serious manner in the North in recent years, let alone that it's helping shake North Korean leader Kim Jong-un's power. The North accuses South Korea's spy agency of using missionaries to gather information about North Korea's secretive nuclear program and other sensitive topics, as well as to smuggle propaganda materials via leaflets, CDs, and USB sticks, and to build underground churches to undermine Kim's leadership, allegations the Seoul government strongly denies. At least two South Korean pastors are detained in the North on such charges. Officially, North Korea says it guarantees freedom of religion to its 24 million people. But in reality, people involved in Bible distribution, secret prayer services, and underground church networks are imprisoned or executed according to activists and defectors. The North has five government-sanctioned churches in Pyongyang, but critics say they are showpiece facilities opened only for foreign visitors. Among the missionaries and pastors killed under mysterious circumstances in recent years is Reverend Han Changryo, a Chinese pastor of Korean descent who headed a frontline church in the Chinese border town of Changbai before he was found dead of multiple stab wounds and a punctured skull in April 2016, raising suspicions that North Korea was involved. Chinese police recently told his family that surveillance video had captured images of three men and a woman suspected of being North Korean agents crossing the border before and after the 49-year-old pastor's slaying, Han's sister, Han Songshi told the Associated Press. 
She said Chinese authorities told the family the North didn't respond to Chinese requests to extradite the suspects. North Korea instead sent a letter to the State Religious Affairs Bureau in Changbai saying it had arrested one of Han's church deacons, Zhang Wenxi, and sentenced him to 15 years hard labor, according to two people with direct knowledge of the case who spoke on condition of anonymity, fearing retribution from North Korea and China. In a copy of the letter seen by the AP, North Korea accused Zhang of conspiring with Han in a plot to evangelize North Koreans, smuggle them out of the country, subvert the North's government. But the letter stopped short of acknowledging that North Korean agents killed Han. A spokeswoman for the Changbai police would not confirm the family's account, saying only, we have no obligation to release the details of the investigation to the media. A state-run North Korean website denied any involvement in Han's slaying, accusing South Korea's then conservative government of being behind a scheme to foster anti-Pyongyang sentiments. Though Han was little known to international media before his death, he was an important figure in the risky covert work to promote Christianity in the North, which views such efforts as a Western-led plot to topple its government. At the Chinese government-registered church in Changbai, where he had worked since the early 1990s, he fed and sheltered thousands of North Koreans over the years, many of whom had fled their famine-stricken country in search of food and jobs, while also converting hundreds of them to Christianity. Eric Foley, by the way, a friend of ours and a one that we support, who is with Voice of the Martyrs Korea, that's a soul-based Christian nonprofit group, this article says, that provided funding, Bibles, and other resources for Han's work. Eric Foley said that he thought the, the Chinese authorities looked the other way about Han's proselyting because they considered his charitable work to be a social service that helped allay potential problems like crime, unemployment, and homelessness among the North Koreans in Changbai. Eric says that allowed him to do that work in a level of volume that was unparalleled up and down the border. He insisted Han did not facilitate defections of North Koreans to South Korea, which is banned by China. But seven other defectors and activists interviewed by the AP said Han did sometimes help North Korean defectors flee to South Korea, though he was reluctant to do so for fear of angering the Chinese authorities and imperiling the work of his church. Choi Sung-ryung, a Seoul-based activist, said that he resettled 10 North Koreans in South Korea at the request of one of Han's deacons. When one of his converts volunteered to return to North Korea to share the love of God with her countrymen in 2011, the woman said Han smiled at her, asked her to memorize as many Bible phrases as possible, and gave her $800 to buy a house in the North that she could use as a gathering place for underground Christians. He told me that house would be a church or a place for God, said the North Korean woman, who has since defected to South Korea and spoke also on condition of anonymity because of concerns for the safety of her relatives in the North.
As a result of his risky work, North Korean defectors, including the woman, had long warned Han that the Pyongyang authorities had him on the country's most wanted list. And the Reverend John Kim, a defector, now a pastor in Seoul, said he was questioned about Han as far back as 2003, when he slipped back into North Korea to try to spread the gospel. Soldiers approached him as he was doing laundry at a river, and they asked if he knew someone named Han Chung-ryo, said Kim. So I asked them who he was, and they said they had to arrest him. As for the congregants Han left behind, their sentiments are reflected in the message on a banner they hung on the front gate of their red-brick church in Changbai. It says, Martyr and Pastor, Han Chung-ryo is our pride. Amen. And that's from the Chicago Tribune, not a lover of um, Christianity or conservative causes, but it's a full-page article, uh, very unusual to find these days. But these days, North Korea is, is being talked about a lot. And while people are talking about it, I'm asking you uh, to pray about it. Talk to God about North Korea. I think we're being fooled by the media, I think, and not by the media so much, but by the actors in the media, the presidents of North and South Korea. South Korea's president, Mr. Moon, is from North Korea originally, has interests there, and some say he has communist leanings, and so he and Kim Jong-un get along fairly well together, and that's perhaps why the peace talks are going on. Much to pray about, much to pray about with North Korea. I trust that you will do so this very day. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. Lord willing, we will talk soon. Bye-bye.